loved the world, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Take your Bible with you this morning, if you will, and open to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. Matthew, chapter 1. We're going to read beginning in verse 18 down through verse 25. It's a very familiar text of Scripture, but I want to approach it in a little different way today, if I can. And I hope that um, the Lord will speak to your heart, because represented by all of you who are here are all different kinds of emotions. When it comes to the holiday season, when it comes to the Christmas season, when it comes to special times of the year, there are all different kinds of emotions that you feel. And sometimes we overlook some of the darker emotions, some of the more difficult emotions, and I want you to see that in this story. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that over these next few minutes that you'll allow me to minister to people that we often forget about during the Christmas season. I pray, Lord, that they will know that you see them that you care about them, that you love them, and that though this season of the year is very different for them, they are not forgotten, and that the emotions they feel are very much in the Christmas story. So, Lord, speak to our hearts now. We pray for the Holy Spirit to have freedom and liberty in our service. I pray, Lord, that I can be a vessel through which you speak, and I pray, Lord, that we'll go away being changed. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, we usually think of Christmas time as being the most joyful time of the season, or the most joyful time of the year. There's a lot of lights and a lot of presents, and we get together for family gatherings, and we eat food, and there's a lot of laughter. There's certain Christmas traditions that we follow. There are movies that we have to see every single Christmas because it's not Christmas if you haven't seen that movie, or songs like the one you just heard, Mary, Did You Know? It's just not Christmas without those things. And Christmas is very much a time of joy for most people. 
But the reality is that there are people among us, there are people in our community, there are people in our neighborhoods who don't sense the same measure of joy that the others of us are feeling and the others of us are enjoying. And it's not because they don't believe in Christmas. It's not because they don't believe in the Bible. It's because there's been something in life that has had a reversal effect on them, something in life that has brought to them some difficulty or hardship or sadness. And it's just not as easy for them to laugh. It's just not as easy for them to celebrate during this season of the year. As a matter of fact, what it does is it it prompts them to think about things they used to have and they no longer have. And the result of that is that though people around them are celebrating, they don't feel that same celebratory nature within themselves. Um, if you are on social media, it only makes it worse. I don't know if you've paid much attention, but on social media, nobody ever posts the reality of their lives. They only post the most wonderful things of their lives. I mean, every picture is made at just the right angle to reduce the number of chins that you see. <laughs> so that when you put it online, everybody will click like, 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 and love, 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 and everybody will comment how pretty you are, but you never show a picture of what you look like when you just got up before you fixed up and before you made up, and probably you have an app where you touch up <laughs> before, you pay, before you post that particular thing. And people who are hurting look at those things online, and it adds to their burden. I'm not suggesting we shouldn't put those things online. I'm just saying they look to those things, and they see the enjoyment of others, and they're wondering, why can't I have that same enjoyment Will it ever return to me? Will I ever feel like I did when I was a child growing up or when I was uh, in life and things were like they were supposed to be and the way I wanted them to be and I hadn't lost the things that I've lost? Will I ever be able to recover that kind of joy in my life? And today I want to talk to those of you who during the Christmas season may find it a difficulty to be able to laugh all the time. You may find it a difficulty to celebrate in every way. You may find it a difficulty to be able to sing some of the songs. You may be hurting in a number of ways that you put on the smile, you, you put on your Sunday uh, go-to-church clothes, you put on an appearance and a front when you go out of your house, but deep, deep down in your heart, there, there's an emptiness and there's a loneliness and there's a hurting, and there's a pain that you feel. There's three things that I want to say to those of you that might feel that way this year, things that I hope you'll take from this pastor and go home and maybe not just think about them for yourself, but think about others that are around you who are experiencing some of these same kinds of emotions. And these three things are very, very simple. The first one is this, be real. Just, just be real. I want you to consider with me for just a few minutes how Joseph felt when the word came to him that Mary, his betrothed, was with child and the baby obviously wasn't his. You understand betrothal was much more serious than engagement is in our day. 
You know, you see a young man uh, set up a scene where he is going to propose to his bride-to-be, and it's always idyllic, and he gets down on his knee, and he puts that ring on her finger. She says yes first, and <laughs> then she puts, he puts that ring on her finger, and there's, everybody's got that excitement and that thrill, and then you start planning a wedding, how many weeks or how many months it's going to be before the wedding takes place, and that's a beautiful thing, but engagement doesn't quite compare to what betrothal was. In some of the translations that we use today, they interchange betrothal with the idea of engagement, but betrothal was much more legally binding. Marriages in that day were often arranged marriages. That didn't mean the two people didn't love each other, but the families came together to arrange the marriage. And once you were betrothed, it was as good as if you were married. The only difference was the wedding hasn't taken place yet. The only difference is you have not consummated that relationship yet. And you're going to wait a period of time, up to a year of time, and then you're going to come together for a Jewish wedding ceremony, and you're going to begin your lives together as husband and wife. And it's a beautiful Jewish ceremony. If you've ever seen one, you've ever gone online and Googled one, they're, they're, they're beautiful ceremonies. But that's where they were. To get out of a betrothal, required more than just taking the ring off and giving it back to the young man who proposed to you. Uh, getting out of a, of, of a betrothal required that you go through a legal process like you would go through a divorce process. Because technically, though not practically, in betrothal, you are already considered to be husband and wife, just awaiting your wedding day and awaiting the consummation of that relationship. And so Mary and Joseph are betrothed to one another. They are promised to each other. They know that they're going to be husband and wife. It's already set in stone. It's already legal. And then Joseph gets the news. He knows he isn't the father, but he gets the news that Mary is pregnant with a child that isn't his. You know, when Mary got that news, she immediately leaves she goes to be with uh, her near relatives. Some of our translations translate the word as cousin. She may have been a first cousin or a second cousin or a third cousin, but she goes to spend three months with her near cousin. You remember her name? That's Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is already pregnant. She's been pregnant for a period of time, and she's carrying the one who will be called John the Baptist. And John is the one who's going to prepare the way for the coming of the Christ. He's the one who's going to go before the Christ. And for three months until John is delivered into this world through the womb of Mary, uh, through the womb of Elizabeth, Mary stays with Elizabeth and they're together. If you go back and you read in the book of Luke, the Christmas story, you hear the interchange that takes place between the two of them. You hear the beautiful song that's written about what God is doing, what God's going to do. But Joseph doesn't know any of those details. Joseph doesn't understand any of that background. And for the, that matter, at this moment in time, this three-month period that Mary is gone, he does not know even that she is with child. He does not even know that she's pregnant. John is born, and Mary leaves her near relative, and she comes back. And now she's got to tell 
Joseph a very difficult story. To Joseph, it must have seemed fantastical. Mary is telling me that the baby that's growing in her womb, whom she is now showing, you're able to tell that she's pregnant. She's telling Joseph that this baby was a miraculous conception in her womb, and it must have sounded, it must have sounded fantastical to Joseph as he was listening to the details of what she was saying. And in the back of his mind, he's reasoning to himself, this just can't be. What has happened? What are we going to do? We were preparing for our wedding day. We were looking forward to spending our lives together. And Joseph is taken back. Joseph is absolutely rocked. His world is rocked at this moment when he learns the woman that he's betrothed to is with a child and it's not his own child. What is he going to do? He had several choices. He could have potentially had her stoned to death for her unfaithfulness during their betrothal. Uh, the Old Testament law would have per permitted that. Uh, he could have a very public and messy divorce that left her and her family, uh, family name besmirched forever. He could put her away privately with no fanfare and little attention to draw, that's, that's drawn to the whole situation. Or he could just go through with the wedding and adopt the son as his own. But Joseph finds himself in a very painful quandary. Try to imagine the heartbreak and the heartache that this man is going through at this moment because he doesn't understand the background of the story and he doesn't yet believe all that Mary is telling him about the story. Did you know that the most intimate thing that a couple shares together is not sex? The most intimate thing that a couple shares together is trust. And in this moment, listening to this story, as it's being related from Mary to Joseph, in his mind, the trust has been broken. The trust has been violated. His life is, is devastated. And he finds himself under extreme stress and under extreme strain. How could she tell me this was a miraculous conception? How could she tell me a story like that? Now what am I going to do? I can't help but wonder if he didn't weep some tears. There weren't moments when he cried. But we do know that apparently he drifts to sleep. Let me ask you a question. After you've heard traumatic news or you've been going through something that is traumatic that leaves you in despair or leaves you feeling depressed, what do you want to do? You want to do the same thing I want to do. You want to get away. You want to go lay down somewhere. You want to close your eyes. You want to go to sleep. You want to be able to escape if you can possibly escape. And maybe if you wake up, when you wake up, you'll realize it was just all a bad dream to begin with and something will be different and you won't feel like you were feeling when you went to sleep. That's what people do. And he goes to sleep. He's got to be thinking to himself before he goes to sleep, you know, what would his family say? What would the townspeople say? How is this going to affect the inheritance of my family? How is this going to affect my work as a carpenter? 
I mean, there must have been seemingly a thousand questions that were going through his head, and it was just so much pressure and so much stress and so much heartbreak that the only thing he could do, the only thing he wanted to do was to find a way to escape for a few moments. And he drifts off into his sleep. While he's sleeping, of course, the angel will come to him and an angel will confirm that the story of Mary is true. But before you get there, I want you to stop and I want you to feel what Joseph was feeling in those moments. And I want you to try to imagine yourself having heard some kind of fantastical news like this. Has your heart ever been laid bare during the holiday season? Are you today hurting so badly that it's difficult to even fake a smile? Do you desperately wish for someone to understand and share a moment of compassion and sympathy with you? Can I just tell you, those of you that don't know, I think most of you will know this, but if you're in a situation where your world has just fallen apart, you feel like you have been put off the Ferris, the, the Ferris wheel of life. You feel, you feel like you've been put off the ride of life and everybody else goes on laughing and everybody else goes on playing and everybody else goes on having fun and everybody goes on enjoying all, of the, about the, all there is to know about the ride. And you're sitting over in a corner and you're watching and you're wondering, does anybody even see me? Does anybody even know what I'm going through? Does anybody even care? And a lot of folks feel that way during the season of Christmas, the most wonderful time of the year. Really? The most wonderful time of the year. Really? Well, I want you to know something. Those of you that are hurting today, I've come to speak to you as a pastor, not a theologian. I've come to speak to you as a pastor, and I want you to know that it's okay to acknowledge that you hurt, and it's okay to feel like the festivities aren't for you at this particular moment, at this particular time, and it's okay to talk about your pain that you've experienced because of something or someone that you loved so much, and it's okay if at times you just have to get alone and cry. It's okay if you can't laugh and you can't sing like everybody else is laughing and singing, it's okay. Joseph would have felt very much like you feel this Christmas season. Please understand that being a Christian doesn't mean you don't hurt. And being pained more deeply than you can ever possibly express doesn't mean that you're spiritually immature. And nobody is asking you to be the invincible saint that never gets down and never suffers from the blows of life. May I remind you that the one whose birthday we are celebrating is also known as the one who was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He sees you. He understands you. He cares for you. And he loves you. Because Jesus knows what it's like to hurt. Then think for a moment. In the last hours of his life, 
He told Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter said, what? I'll go to prison. I'll even go to death with you. And Jesus turns to him and says, what? You're going to deny me three times. You're going to deny me three times. Listen to how the story lays it out. Luke chapter 22, verses 60 to 62. Peter replied, man, I I don't know what you're talking about. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Peter is standing around with these people, trying to get as close as he can to the trials of Jesus, to see what's unfolding about Jesus. And you know, he gets asked once, and he gets asked a second time. He gets asked this third time. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Now listen. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, the word that had been spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. Now, we know what happens to Peter. Peter goes off crying. The conviction and the pain that he feels for his denials, the breaking of his promise was more than he could bear. But have you ever stopped to think how Jesus was feeling in those moments? Even Peter had abandoned him. And the depth of Jesus' pain was deep, far deeper than any of us can even possibly comprehend in totality. I mean, has anyone ever abandoned you in the deepest crisis of your life and you felt hopeless and forlorn? forlorn? Then I got good news for you. Jesus understands exactly how you feel and Jesus sees you. Or think about when Judas led that crowd of people up the Mount of Olives to arrest Jesus. He had betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And he brings this crowd of people that are going to take Jesus under arrest. And as he gets closer to Jesus to identify him to the crowd, what does he do? He walks up to him and he places a kiss on his cheek. He places a a kiss on his cheek. Listen to it. Luke 22, 48. Jesus asked him, speaking now to Judas, Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? Can I just tell you that that was the most painful kiss in history? That there was Judas identifying Jesus with the sign of friendship, but there was no friendship involved. There was only betrayal involved. And I want you to see that you have a Savior in heaven who understands, who feels what you feel, who can comprehend the depth of emotion that you're experiencing in your life. He understands that there's not always moments to celebrate. There's not always moments to laugh and to play. It's not always a big party everywhere. And I've come to tell you today that Jesus sees you. And Jesus knows what you're feeling. And Jesus understands. And Jesus hasn't stopped loving you. And he will never stop loving you. Joseph is hurting in this Christmas story when he learns about Mary's pregnancy. Can you feel his pain? Can you sense his agony? Do you see his dilemma? What am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? I don't know what to do next. What's coming next? I don't know what to do. 
You know, some of the most memorable messages that I've delivered from this pulpit have been ones where I've been vulnerable with you and I've shared with you some of the pain that I and my family have been through. I don't mean memorable in the sense that they get some kind of homiletics or a reward or award. I mean memorable in the sense that you connected with me because you said, you feel that? I feel that too. And somehow after the service, you might not have remembered anything else that I said in the message. You might not know any of the outline that I gave out. You might have forgotten a lot of the things that I said about the text. But you remember that story and you recognized and you connected with that story. You mean you hurt like that? That's what I'm telling you about Jesus. Jesus understands our hurts and Jesus understands our pains. He left heaven to come live amongst us. And we have a sympathetic high priest who understands what we go through in life and that sometimes life hurts. The fact is, life hurts sometimes. And hiding the hurt almost always makes it worse. I love the words of the psalmist, Psalm 38, verse 8. He says, I am feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. Ever felt like that? You groan. You groan because of the turmoil of your heart. Can I just say to you this Christmas, be real. If you're hurting this Christmas season, be honest and say to the Lord, yes, Lord, I'm hurting. He understands he wants to hear from you, and he wants to love you in the midst of your pain. What I'm telling you to do doesn't mean going around spilling your guts to everybody and anybody that will listen, and it definitely doesn't mean getting on social media and spilling your guts. You realize that those people who click like and love and all those other things, for the most part, really aren't as close to you as a friend as you think they are, or they'd be sitting next to you in the midst of your pain. But what I am telling you is that you need to stop beating yourself up for having human feelings that come from the pain that you've experienced. And there's one thing that I want to ask you to ask God to help you to avoid, and that is nursing your hurt into bitterness. Don't let yourself nurse your hurt into bitterness. Somebody violates your trust. A friend proverbially stabs you in the back. You get a medical diagnosis you don't want to hear. There's a death that happens to the dearest on earth to you. A family member wounds you with his or her words and a thousand other scenarios we could talk about. We need God's help to avoid letting the hurt turn into bitterness towards God and toward others. Because this is how it usually happens. When people are hurting, they have a tendency to hold on to the hurt. And then they, they rehearse the hurt over and over and they nurse the hurt. I deserve to feel this way. I, 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 should, I deserve to feel this way toward that per person. And eventually you curse the hurt. Did you hear that? You hold on to the hurt and you rehearse the hurt and you nurse the hurt. And eventually you curse the hurt. You want to lash out at someone. You want to lash out at somebody because you're hurting. And almost every time you ever do that, it always makes it worse. 
Lashing out isn't the answer when you're hurting. If it's somebody that's hurt you or it's life itself in general that's hurt you, lashing out isn't the way to take care of it. Listen to the psalmist again, Psalm 62, verse 8. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. Selah is a little word, probably most likely a musical term that means to pause and think about what he just said. Don't rush past this. Don't hurry to get to the next passage or the next verse. Make sure you stop and you think about it. And what does he want you to think about? That God is a refuge for us and that you to pour out your heart before him. Here's what I want you to think of for a moment. I want you to think of your, your heart like a pitcher, not the kind that throws, the kind that's in your refrigerator that has water in it or juice in it, the kind that you pull out and you pour into a glass. I want you to think about a pitcher for a minute, that container that, that, that is your heart. As unpleasant and bad things happen to you, your container begins to be filled with the things that are foul and odorous. Things that have happened to you begin to fill up this pitcher. And what do you do with a pitcher that's filled and it's containing things that are spoiled? What do you do with it? You pour it out, don't you? You don't leave it in your refrigerator. What do you do? At least I hope you don't. What do you do? You take it and you pour it out. What are you saying to me, preacher? You don't let your heart fill up with the odorous things that have happened in your life and the pain that you're feeling. You don't let it just stay there until it stinks. You take it and you pour it out to God. And you pour it out to God as many times as you have to pour it out to God because God alone is the one who understands and God alone is the one who can do something to help you. You confess it to the Lord. You pour it out to the Lord. You cast your burdens on the Lord. You trust him to sustain you. Do you see it in this story? Joseph is hurting. When we first meet him in this story, there is pain in his heart. He's just heard the most devastating news he could possibly ever imagine. Yes, what he believes is not the truth. But the reality is that he still feels that way. He doesn't have the confirmation yet that Mary has been given. And the pain is so deep that he doesn't know what to do. We know he's hurting. You know why? He's planning a divorce. A silent one, a quiet one. Because he doesn't want to put Mary to shame in the public eye and make it any worse than it's already going to be. But he's already thinking about the divorce. And he's only thinking about that divorce because he's hurting. His pain is deep. And there's moments in our lives when we're hurting and our pain is deep. We have to be careful not to rehearse the hurt and to nurse the hurt so that we don't come to a place of cursing the hurt. We have to pour it out to God. And in just a few minutes, I'm going to give an invitation. I'm going to let you come and just stand here and kneel here and say, Lord, what I'm experiencing in my life, I pour it out to you. I know you know. I know you know what it means to hurt. I know you feel what I feel. I know you're the great high priest who can sympathize with me. And Lord, I come not to keep that 
picture of in, in my heart that's filled with all of those odorous things that I need to let go to you. I come to pour it out to you, oh God, because I know you will help me. Not only be, be ready, but I want you to say, this is number two, I want you to write down, be listening. Be listening. Be real. Be listening. Be real. If you're hurting, be real. It's okay. Number two, be listening. You know what Joseph is here doing? He's a righteous man. The scripture tells us that about him. And I love that about Joseph. He's a righteous man. He wants to do the right thing. He's terribly hurt. And what do you do when you're a righteous person and you're hurting? You start praying, right? You start praying, Lord, you got to help me. I don't understand what's going on around me. I can't comprehend the circumstances I'm in. Lord, you've got to show me the way out of this mess. Lord, you've got to tell me what to do. Can you hear his prayers? God, I don't understand. God, why is this happening to me? Lord, I had plans for our relationship. We were going to have a great marriage, and we were going to have a great family. Lord, she's ruined everything. Why, Lord, why? Can you feel his pain? A righteous man who's been told something that he can't hardly believe in his mind. He doesn't have the, the confirmation that Mary has been given at this moment. He just wants to go to sleep and escape the situation. I don't want to have to think about it anymore. I just want to go to sleep and maybe I'll wake up and it'll be gone when I wake up. Did you know it's okay to ask God why? I've heard people say, don't ever ask God why. Well, Jesus hanging on the cross said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, there's a way to ask why, and a, there's, a, there's a proper way to ask why, and there's an improper way to ask why, but it's okay to ask why. Just understand that you may not get an answer in the fashion that you want the answer, but we have to be ready when we're talking to God about the things that are bothering us and hurting us. We have to be ready to listen because God is going to speak, and God is speaking even today. Some of you didn't know what the message was going to be, and God is speaking to your heart today. God didn't lay this on my heart just for the sake of another message to fill up the time limit that I'm given for this. God knew what was going on in your life, and he wanted this pastor to speak to you. He wanted to speak through this pastor to you. For him to know that you care, that God cares about your circumstances and God cares about you. But I have to ask you the question, are you listening? Are, are you listening? I mean, some people come to church just to goof off, to check off the box. They text their friends while the sermon's going on. They work crossword puzzles, Wordle, on their phones. They play games and a dozen other things until that guy up front finally shuts up. And I guess I ask the quiet question, why do people do that? I mean, what's the point of doing that? I go to church every Sunday to say, God, I'm listening. Lord, I want to hear your voice. God, I'm listening. You remember the young man named Samuel? His mother wanted a child, a boy child, and 
He didn't, she didn't have one. She was made fun of by the other women because she didn't have a child. She prayed to God, and God finally gave her that son. She promised, God, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to your service. I'll give him back to your work at the temple. And he, she gave birth to a young man named Samuel. When the time came and it was right, she took him back to that temple, and she gave him to the service of God to work under the prophet Eli there in the temple. As a young man, one night he was laying down and he heard a voice calling out his name. Thinking that it was the voice of Eli calling for him, he runs in and he says, here I am, you called me? What does Eli do? Eli says, he didn't call him, I didn't call you. And this process is repeated two more times. And then Eli understands what's happening. He says, the next time you hear that voice, you say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening and the next time he heard his voice called, that's exactly what he says. And Samuel becomes one of the greatest prophets. He received on that occasion one of the many prophets that Samuel would ultimately be given because he was beginning to learn how to listen to the Lord. Are you listening today? Are you ready for whatever he might say to you? Can you say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening? I mean, to each of the churches in the Revelation, each of the seven churches in the Revelation, he says, let them hear, let them hear. Whoever has ears, let them hear. After a description of the Antichrist in Revelation 13, 9, he follows it with these words, whoever has ears, let him hear. In the Gospels, when Jesus was giving the parables, he says at the end of some of them, to have ears to hear. Not everybody has ears to hear. They've got ears. But they don't have ears to hear. And the question is, are you listening? God's speaking. Did you know that? God is speaking. And the question is, are we ready and are we listening for what he's going to say or what he is saying to our lives today? Will you walk away saying, God spoke to my heart today because you were listening to what God had to say? You know, it's pretty amazing how God spoke to Joseph in the original Christmas story, isn't it? While he's sleeping, while he's sleeping, he sends an angel, dispatches an angel to give him a direct message. Let me read it to you again. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. Isn't that fascinating? Here's a man who's gone to sleep in the midst of his despair. And in the midst of that sleep, God speaks to him in a dream and confirms that what Mary has been telling him is exactly, in fact, the truth. And God is speaking to Joseph. And God is speaking to you today. Some of you will hear him. I pray that all of you will hear him. He's probably not going to appear to you in a dream like that. He's probably not going to speak in an audible voice, so he certainly has the ability and he certainly has the, the sovereignty to do that if he so cho chooses. More likely, what he's going to do is speak to you through the authority of his word, 
through the preaching of his word that you hear week after work, through the reading of the word that you do day by day, he's going to speak to your heart. Isn't that what the psalmist means in Psalm 19, 105? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Do you get it? As a matter of fact, if you write something down, write this down. The Bible is the mind and voice of God in print. The Bible is the mind and voice of God in print. And do you know what Psalm 119, 105 says? It says God's going to shine the light on your feet. He didn't say it was going to light up the whole corridor ahead of you. He said, I'm going to show you the next step that you have to take. And what was the next step that Joseph had to take? He had to take Mary as his wife. He had to receive her as his wife, not to divorce her. God shines his light on our feet so that we can take the next step of obedience, trusting him with the rest of the way. I mean, think about this. He didn't say, now, Joseph, listen, you're going to take Mary to be your wife, and then from there you're going to end up having to go to Bethlehem because there's going to be a census, and it's going to be a rough trip. You're going to think the baby's going to come before you get there. But I want you to know the baby's not coming until you get to Bethlehem. Oh, and there's going, going to be no room for you in any of the inns for you to sleep. You're going to have to have this baby out with the animals. And you're going to have to be there in Bethlehem for a while, at least until the wise men arrive and they bring the gifts that they're bringing. Then I, I have to tell you that you're going to have to flee from Bethlehem and you're going to have to go down into Egypt because Herod is going to be looking to kill this child of yours. And he's going to kill all the baby boys two years of age and under. But eventually, eventually Joseph, I'll bring you back, back out of Egypt. I'll bring you back to Nazareth and you'll, you'll raise this child. Did God say that to Joseph? You know what he did? He gave him enough light for the next step. Take her as your wife. And moment by moment, God led him along the way, showed him where he wanted to be, and took him where he wanted to go. God lights the next step. You say, I want God to show me the whole corridor. First of all, if he showed you the whole corridor, you might not go on that journey with him because you're not yet prepared for the things that you'll meet on that, in that corridor. But if you'll take the next step, here's the most amazing thing. God will begin lighting the step after and the step after that and the step after that because that's the way God leads. Do you realize that there's young people that are 18, 19, and 20 years old that are saying, Lord, show me the person I'm going to marry. If you'll just show me what my life's going to be like over the next three to five years, if you'll just give me a glimpse of what's coming 10 years down the road, if you'll just shine the light down the corridor so I can see what lies ahead, and do you understand that that kind of living requires zero, no faith at all? God's not calling us to be seeing everything that he has planned for us and everything that's going to happen to us. God is calling us to follow him moment by moment and day by day. It is a daily walk with God. And you step out on the, in the light that you have. And then God gives you light for the next step. God's word is a light on your path, but he doesn't light up the entire corridor of your life. He shines the light on your feet and takes you along one step at a time. So what do you do if you're hurting this season of the year? 
First of all, you have to be real. We're not asking you to play, the, play a game with us. It's okay. If you need a friend, we're here to listen to you. We're here to love you. We're here to hug you. We're here to tell you that God sees you and God cares about you. You have to be listening. God is speaking. Some of you will hear him today. I hope all of you. God is speaking. Be listening. And whatever that next step is, just take that next step. But finally, you got to be ready. You got to be ready. Chapter 1, verse 24 says, then, then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. Joseph is given a command from the angel of the Lord and he obeys it. Whatever God tells you to do, you just do it. You will never have more understanding of where God wants you to go or how to get out of the place where you are until you take the first step in your life that God is already showing you to take. I don't know how I can say that any simpler as a pastor. Until you take the next step you know you're supposed to take, you're not going to know the one that follows or the one that follows it. you got to be ready to do what God tells you, whether you feel like it or you don't feel like it, whether it's easy or it's not easy. You take the next step. Can you imagine what Joseph and Mary would have to deal with? Can you hear some of the tongues wagging? I'm sure there were Baptist people in that day that just didn't go by that name. <laughs> what is this, Joseph? A shotgun wedding? Why are you marrying her so quickly? She's looking a bit heavier than usual. What's up with that, Joseph? You understand, they can do the math. They can do the math. Even one of the slanders that's used about Jesus, you find it in Mark chapter 6. He's called, Jesus has called the son of Mary. You never called a, you never called a child by the mother's name. You called the child by the father's name. Listen to Mark chapter 6, verse 3, speaking about Jesus. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? It's a little bit like saying, isn't this the illegitimate one? It was a stigma that Mary and Joseph had to deal with constantly. But you got to be ready. Whatever God tells you to do, no matter what stigma may come your direction, no matter what anybody else may say to you, you got to be willing to obey God and do it immediately. Maybe for you it's joining the church and you've been putting it off. Or maybe it's God reminding you today to be baptized and profess your faith. Or maybe it's to serve in a ministry and help your church love people. Or maybe it's to join a life group in the new year and be, be there weekly. Or maybe it's giving to the work of, of God so that you can lay up treasures in heaven. Or maybe the most important one is to believe in Christ as your Savior before it's eternally too late. Do you remember what happened when Jesus called Peter and Andrew to follow him? They were fishermen. You know what they did? This is what the Bible says. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. That's what Jesus is asking for every one of us. Can I just tell you that if I had known everything that you have to experience in the course of doing a ministry when I first surrendered to the ministry, I probably would never have been able to stay in the ministry. Every step you take in obedience to God, listening to his voice, 
prepares you and strengthens you to take the next step that God takes you on and prepares you to go the next step with God. And we have to be willing to obey him immediately. This Christmas, I'm calling on you to be real. Some of you are hurting. I want you to be real. We're not asking you to hide. We want you to know that God loves you, and so do we. We have to be listening. God is speaking. Most likely, you're going to hear him through his word. You're probably not going to get a dream or a voice in the sky from above. If that happens, call me. I want to be there with you. You got to be listening, and you got to be ready. Because whatever he says, you got to be ready to obey him and just go do it. Because until you take the next step, you're not going to see the step that follows. Because it's unlikely that he's going to light up the entire corridor. He's going to take you one moment at a time and one day at a time. Mary and I went to see a movie this past week. I heard the bells. And we thoroughly enjoyed it. Caused me to want to be a little more fastidious about making sure the details were straight. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was one of America's greatest poets. You may remember him as the author of Paul Revere's Ride. He penned a lot of other poems and novels and anthologies. He translated popular foreign works into English. He was a brilliant man. His first wife was named Mary Potter, and she died suddenly while Longfellow was away overseas. And then after a long courtship, he married Frances Appleton in 1843, and the couple had six children. One author says the marriage was an exceptionally happy one for both partners and brought Longfellow the domestic stability he had missed. However, the bliss was not to last. In 1861, while sealing envelopes with hot wax, a flame caught Francis's clothes on fire. Henry rushed to her aid and tried to smother the flames, but by the time the fire was out, Francis had been burned beyond recovery. Longfellow fell into a deep, deep depression, and he threw himself into his work. Something you probably know about him is that he was a staunch abolitionist, something that was proudly reflected in some of his writings. So when the Civil War came, his oldest son, Charlie, was eager to do his part. And as a second lieutenant, Charlie fought in the Battle of Chancellorsville in Virginia. He just narrowly dodged the Battle of Gettysburg by coming down with typhoid fever. But it wasn't long, and he was back in the fight in August 1863. Even Charlie was wounded in battle. Again, one author writes, while dining at home on December the 1st, 1863, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow received a telegram that his son had been severely wounded four days earlier. On November the 27th, 1863, Charlie was shot through the left shoulder with the bullet exiting under his right shoulder blade. Longfellow's son survived the injury, but it was going to be a long Recovery, And so Longfellow finds himself staring down another Christmas season as a widower with five children dependent on him and now one child on the brink of death. Now listen. Outside he heard the Christmas bells ringing at the church. 
But you can imagine in his mind, he must have also heard those cannons and the gunfire of the war that was raging. The world was literally tearing itself apart. There didn't seem to be any space for peace on earth and goodwill to men. And then out of the depth of his pain, he wrote the words to one of our familiar Christmas hymns. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. By the way, listen to this downward spiral of emotion. In thought how as the day had come, the belfries all of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black, a cursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the south, with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent. And made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But now listen to how he finishes. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. 